From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. During the, and, and since the pandemic, you know, we've seen a lot of candidate interest in rural areas. Um, most of them, I would say, cited as the reason that they made them step back and reassess, you know, what they are, what they're doing, uh, what they really want out of life. It's kind of opened people's eyes. And, you know, I think we've seen this several times in history, you know, whether it was 9-11, whether it was the change in the ACA and that sort of thing, different things that are kind of triggers to make people think differently about what they're doing with their life. That's Tony Stadahar of Jackson Physician Search talking about recruiting physicians to work in rural health care. We'll hear more from Tony as well as Chris Franklin of locumtenants.com in just a moment. But first, a word from our sponsors. Join MGMA's Pathways Conference DX June 7th and 8th online. Our digital experience is built on three content areas vital to medical practice excellence, finance, operations, and data. Follow your path to excellence. Go to mgma.com events to register today. Breast cancer will impact one in eight women. The best way to decrease mortality in breast cancer is early detection. On-site women's health provides healthcare practices and providers with the ability to bring screening mammography in-house. Partnering with OnSite allows more women to keep up with their annual screening and gives anyone impacted by breast cancer a fighting chance. Learn more at OnSiteWomen'sHealth.com. Our guests today are Tony Stadahar, president of Jackson Physician Search, and Chris Franklin, president of locumtenants.com. Chris and Tony are here today to talk about the findings from their joint research study on rural physician recruitment and staffing. Chris and Tony, I want to thank y'all both for joining the MGMA Insights podcast. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having us. All right. Well, we are here to talk about a really interesting uh, research paper, the Rural Physician Recruitment and Staffing Survey that uh, JPS and locumtenants.com worked on together. Uh, so let's, let's tackle this. Let's delve into it, see what some of the findings were. Um, Tony, I want to start with you. Um, what were you seeing in the market to develop and uh, put this thing together in the first place? What was some of the anecdotal or research out there that uh, inspired y'all to work on this together? Yeah, you know, there were a few um, approaches to this. First, uh, Chris and I have wanted to do something together for a while in terms of paper, research, et cetera. Our companies uh, work very well together. We have a lot of synergy uh, and we're both, of course, under the Jackson Healthcare umbrella. So it's nice when you can say, what's the best way to get a physician? And you say, well, if you can get them the next day for a permanent physician, then you've got things covered and people will always want to work with you. So they're amazing at getting people right away. 
And of course, we're very good at finding that long-term match as well. So um, it's it's just seemed like a natural thing since we do work so closely together. But during the and, and since the pandemic, you know, we've seen a lot of candidate interest in rural areas. Um, most of them, I would say, cited as the reason that they may, made them step back and reassess, you know, what they are, what they're doing, uh, what they really want out of life. It's kind of opened people's eyes. And, you know, I think we've seen this several times in history, you know, whether it was 9-11, whether it was the change in the ACA and that sort of thing, different things that are kind of triggers to make people think differently about what they're doing with their life. Um, we had a lot of people that uh, that we were finding say they want to move closer to family. And again, that was very pandemic driven. And then some were just flat afraid to live in a city. You know, I mean, with all of the press we saw every morning, every evening around New York City and the scariness and you know, the, the mobile morgues and all the things that were happening, I think it just opened people's eyes and frankly, in some ways, just scared the heck out of them as well. Um, you know, I'm sure we all remember all those scenes and everything that it just continued to build angst and fear in people. And I think people just said, I've had enough. There's got to be a simpler way. And you just didn't hear people wake up going, good Lord, there's nothing going on in Heading or North Dakota. Maybe I should move there. But you know, rural rural places around the country just weren't getting hit like this by and large. So that that was kind of my take. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah Chris. That, what? Yeah, go ahead with any thoughts yeah, you had sure. on it. Yeah. So so from our perspective, a, a you know a good portion of, of our business comes from um, from from rural settings. You know, and these areas are impacted not just by the physician shortage as we all are, but but most notably by just maldistribution. Right. Um, you compound that with the fact that, um, you know, folks that live in these uh, areas, at least a disproportionate number of them uh, are poor and are in, um, you know, poor health. They, they live below the poverty level. They have less access. Um, you know, you hear the term food deserts used in urban areas. There's really healthcare deserts in a lot of these uh, rural settings. And so from our perspective, you know, we, we feel like it's um, just a real area of need where we have opportunity, um, you know, both in terms of kind of that, um, that, that quick fix solution and also uh, what JPS delivers to really be able to have a true impact. So I think that is a lot of the impetus behind understanding um, what attitudes are about working in those areas and coming up with uh, strategies around enabling that. Um, you know, also, as, as Tony mentioned, um, you know, our, our two companies work very well together um, and uh, the services that we offer, they, they really complement each other. Um, you know, the goal is really at the end of the day for us to be able to, to create access to healthcare, whether that's done on a permanent basis or done on a temporary basis. Um, you know, we have opportunity to, to, to truly have an impact on improving healthcare in our country. And so any chance we have to work together and kind of combine resources to, uh, to try to drive towards those solutions is something that we really want to try to take advantage of. That's great. Um, to give our listeners a little further context, who, Chris, I want to stick with you for this next question. Who did you survey and what was the time frame? As, as Tony alluded to earlier, 
uh, we don't have to remind anybody, but the last two plus years we've been in this pandemic era. So was that when you when you did the research? And yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'll give you I'll give you a little bit of color on that. So we 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 surveyed uh, a little over thirteen hundred physicians. Um, a little over 150 advanced practice uh, providers and about 170 administrators uh, across the country. Uh, we conducted the, the research in um, the fall of last year in October um, and then just released the results here um, in, in Q1 of this year. So a little bit of a a little bit of a, of a kind of retrospective, I think, on impacts of the of the pandemic, which Kind of gives you a, a little bit of an opportunity to see, um, you know, see those results a little more um, kind of clearly with the benefit of some hindsight. But one thing that I'll note is that I think we all felt it was very critical to have uh, APPs uh, included in uh, in the research. Um, you know, their their roles are growing uh, more and more critical to addressing uh, and, and trying to mitigate the the physician shortage. In fact, um, I, I think um, you know half of all rural primary care practices employ at least one MP, and so um, you know that's just a growing area. You know, you see research from you know Bureau of Labor Statistics that says um, you know they're predicting uh, forty-five percent growth in the number of APPs used over the next ten years. So. Um, we felt like it was really important to get that perspective, um, you know, represented in, uh, in the data. Okay. Tony, any color to add to that? I know Chris covered a lot of ground there, but any thoughts yeah, there? Just a couple things. And, you know, part of, uh, to put this in perspective. So of course, all of the rural areas are probably limited to certain amount of specialties, but there were a little bit of a variety of specialties that were serviced in this. And of course, some were doing perms, some were doing locums. So it is kind of a mix of everything. We thought that was important to do a cross-section. And then the part about the administrators, of course, I think as Daniel, we've seen in some of our last few podcasts and, and studies we've done together is the, uh, the different vision of what administration feels versus what the physicians feel. And and uh, the contrast between those two many times is startling. And I think when we, you know, we'll probably get to this later on, but um, some of the differences that we saw, even in this study that you would think would have so many similarities, there's still this disconnect, which tells us and leads us to say, we have to continue and push the idea that communication and building, you know, cultural fits and retention programs and things like that are getting more and more and more important if you want to not just hire but retain uh, good physicians in the long run so uh, so that's the only thing I had to add to that sure and Tony I want to stay with you here because we've we have talked about several studies over the last three four years that uh, uh, JPS has worked on and you've worked on with MGMA on some studies as well and I'm always curious to find out because you've been doing this for a while and you've got such a background in this type of research. What surprised you about this study? What was it that you just you kind yeah. of opened your eyes to what's going on out there? Good question. And first, um, 
thank you for not just calling the attention that I've just been around forever. <laughs> uh, but but no, that's that's it's all good because you you do get to the point sometimes where nothing really surprises you. But this one really was eye opening to me. And Chris has a unique perspective too because not only is he the president of Velty.com but he was in the perm side of the industry for a long time before he went over there. So he has even a more unique perspective than me. But for me, the part that was interesting was all the surveys that we used to see decades ago, even five years ago, when you would ask physicians, would you consider moving to a rural area? And, and keep in mind, the definition of rural was like 25,000 or under, which you know, for me, that that could be a nice bedroom community of a city, right? But yeah, um, but in these the the rural areas, that like less than ten percent of the people surveyed said they would do that. This has been a total transformation and turnaround to where like ninety percent they're not saying they would move there, but they're saying, hey, I'd listen to it and consider possibility of doing it. So. That's the biggest turnaround of anything I've ever seen in my career. It's even bigger than the switch from physicians wanting to be independent to saying they all want to be employed after the ACA. So that, that was a big one, but this was even bigger. So in, in search, you know, the first and most important piece of it is candidate acquisition. So it's really hard to find those candidates who would be interested in taking that location. But gosh, this has changed that role. And we're seeing as a result in the last year and a half, it's just bizarre that the study happened last quarter, you know, a couple quarters ago, that um, we noticed the placement levels in our rural communities continue to rise as a percentage of our placements. So it's really, uh, it's really coming to fruition what they're saying in the survey. Um, and and the, the last thing that I really thought was a little bit fascinating was some of the things that they're saying and the way they were you know, giving their preferences, you would have expected that in, let's just say, June through October of 2020. But after October 2021, it's had the chance to subside a little bit and things have gotten a little looser. So you, you kind of think people go back to some normalcy of what it was prior to the pandemic. But as for it to still be at that level where people will consider it, I thought it was really pretty interesting. So to facilities, my advice strike while the iron's hot, while you got people who are saying they're interested, yeah. this is a really good time to be recruiting. Right. Uh, Chris, I want to turn this to you as well. Get your perspective. What what surprised you or did you find interesting? Yeah, from so um, I, I don't know that it surprised me, but I think it it maybe validated um, what what we're kind of seeing and feeling from, from our clinicians. So uh, the, the data showed that 72% of physicians who are currently practicing in urban and suburban areas were open to considering a rural opportunity. 82% of advanced uh, practitioners were, were open to that. And for physicians, even that, that remaining 28%, um, really only 13% of that were a definitive no. So you've got another 15% that said it's likely that I wouldn't. So I would put them in the bucket of, hey, you're saying there's a shot uh, with that group. So there's a lot of, of openness to it. Maybe the more surprising thing was the openness from the administrator side. 82% of administrators were open to um, that um, kind of uh, test drive uh, type scenario, kind of the temp to perm. So bringing somebody in on a temporary basis 
um, with an eye towards ultimately trying to uh, convert them to, to a permanent status. And I think that's an area where, um, where we've seen a bit more open-mindedness and I think is a, a key element in, in a strategy for administrators in rural areas is kind of using all those arrows that they have in the quiver to try to get people there. Um, I also thought just, just some of the, the color around um, the cultural aspects that were important to, um, to folks um, being attracted to rural areas. Uh, probably the biggest one around kind of what I would term pace of practice. So the ability to spend more time with patients was really a key um, kind of cultural driver uh, for folks, as well as um, the amount of personal fulfillment that they took for their, from their jobs. That, that number is much higher uh, for clinicians practicing in rural areas. And so I think as, um, uh, you know, as, as administrators are putting together their strategy around how they're representing their community and all the great things that they have to offer, they can't lose sight of, um, you know, those cultural aspects. And, and you know, I think one of the silver linings of, of, uh, of the pandemic is that people have a greater awareness and, and a greater appreciation for, for things like like that, that, that maybe in the past we're, we're thinking solely about, you know, compensation and, and, and those sorts of things. And, and, and while the study proved that those are very important and you have to be competitive, it also kind of shown a light on um, maybe some of those kind of softer things that, um, that you know, different, that, uh, different practices could, could represent and really do a good job of articulating to try and attract people okay. uh, to their communities. All right. Um... Thank you for that. And I, the next topic here I want to cover is one that uh, everybody who's listening and you guys as well have been steeped in right now. And that's just the staffing shortages. I, I was heartened to hear about the APPs that you see growth there. But uh, Chris, I'll stay with you here and just ask you, what did this show you as far as staffing shortages? What impact has COVID-19 had on getting physicians to serve in those rural areas. I know that y'all were saying that you were uh, surprised or at least uh, interested to find that um, there was more interest in physicians to look in those rural areas now. But did the did y'all have any research that uh, I guess, uh, you know, showed up in in the study for you on, you know, the impact COVID-19 had? Yeah, so I, I think what, um, what, what we found is that really during kind of the, the, the height of the surges, um, the, the majority of those, not all, certainly there were, were, were some, but the majority of, uh, of them were in areas with higher population density. And while we saw, you know, a lot of our clinicians who kind of ran towards that and wanted to parachute in and kind of be in the mix of some of the things that Tony described, uh, in some of those areas, we also saw a, a good portion of our uh, of our clinicians who um, typically um, would would serve in more urban and suburban environments really seek the opportunity to to go to to rural areas where there was less uh, you know dense population, um, and so I think that was one of the one of the uh, the things that the pandemic. Um, Kind of forced is it kind of opened the eyes of certain groups to those opportunities mm -hmm. um you know the other piece is and i think this is this is lasting and we're feeling this now 
is the impacts of burnout. And, um, you know, that is, that is, that is real. Um, And so uh, I think from that perspective, um, it's driving a lot of early retirements, which showed up um, in the study. Um, And so, you know, a lot of those uh, baby boomer physicians are already practicing in rural areas. And so I think um, those early retirements will likely have a greater impact um, in, in some of the rural areas. Um, but on the flip side of that, what I mentioned about, you know, some of those cultural drivers, the opportunity to maybe have a little bit of a, of a slower pace of practice uh, may also attract some people to those areas. One thing, and I'd be interested to, to, to see if this still, um, uh, you know, stands to be true, um, you know, in, in, in Tony's um, purview, but you know, the, the, the pandemic really spurred greater talent mobility, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, it used to be, and I'm curious if this is, is still the case, that one of the big barriers to entry to getting clinicians to move to rural communities was employment opportunities for spouses, partners, and significant others, right? Now we're living in a world without walls, where work anywhere is, has become you know, more pervasive. And you can go to one of these small communities, but you can still keep your job working for your hedge fund in New York or whatever the case may be. And so, you know, again, that may be one that falls into the, the, uh, the category of kind of silver lining um, for some of these rural communities. I, I don't know, Tony, is that something that's been, yeah. been beneficial or? Yeah, that's spot on, actually. Um, it it had, you know, between working remotely and I guess secondarily the great resignation, uh, whether that resignation turns into reemployment later on, we'll see. But, but for now, it is what it is. And yeah, it's certainly opened the doors to do that where it was prohibitive before. So that could be a big factor in why that percentage of people willing to do it is raised. Um, and I, I also thought it was interesting that 10% of the people that we surveyed actually cited, specifically cited COVID as the reason they went to a rural area. So, you know, this was a, a pretty big cause and effect. I don't, I don't know that I've seen a situation in my 35 years where something made that big of an impact for people to make that decision to go there. The hard part is, I think, Daniel, you asked the question earlier on about the you know, the, the great physician shortage. And while we still have APPs and, and others and trying to, you know, we're shifting nurses are getting more responsibility. APPs are getting more responsibility. Um, all these things continue to happen, but it still seems as though we're never going to catch up with providers at all of, based on the aging population that we have and the lack of additional training facilities and programs to get people pushed through. So, you know, this is going to continue to happen, um, but can this maldistribution that Chris mentioned earlier get a little bit better? Can that get better as a result of all of this? It certainly seems that way. It seems like we're going to, but, but, you know, I don't want people to get too excited either to think we're going to go from, you know, 10% of the physicians in the country live in rural America to all of a sudden it's going to be 20 overnight because that's not going to happen. It's going to take a long time for it to ever catch up if it ever does. So, um, that's, that's really my only other take on it. Okay. Okay. Um, I want to follow up with that. You've already touched on a lot of this. You've, you've 
uh, quoted some of the statistics here, but I want to point out some of the research here from the National Conference of State Legislators that says approximately one-fifth of the nation's population, as y'all were talking about, lives in a rural area, but you've only got 10% of the nation's physicians located there, so you already see this huge imbalance. Um, we, Tony, you and I have talked about this a lot in the past, but what are some of those keys then to get the physicians to move to those rural areas? As you pointed out, there's already some interest that you hadn't seen previously, but what did the study show you as additional keys for those recruiters who wanna, wanna get those physicians over there to their practices? Sure, and, and you're welcome for taking your thunder on the next question, but the, <laughs> I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but the bottom line is, yeah, those stats are very, very accurate, and it's always been an issue, and you know, if it doesn't get fixed to a certain per percentage point, um, you know, Chris and I both alluded to this, is that healthcare suffers in rural America, and the opportunity for people to be taken care of gets harder and harder as hospitals close down because they don't have physicians in communities. Um, people run the risk of not making it to the hospital on time in some cases. So you just, you know, these are these are really important issues that we need to take a little, a lot closer look at, excuse me. Um, the interesting thing is on this topic, I think it's good to get back to what we said in the beginning of talking about the disparity of uh, perception between physicians and administration. And, and once again, it proves true. So, you know, over 60% of physicians say they want higher compensation, bonuses, benefits, et cetera. Um, and, you know, about half of them want the ability to work part-time. And to Chris's point earlier, you know, have, have a lot more flexibility in their schedule. And I think that by and large is due to the pandemic. I think people have reassessed what's important to them in life and how much money do you need. But you would think that's the answer. So it's kind of an interesting balance here because they're saying they want less work. They want more work-life balance, yet compensation and bonuses and benefits are still extremely important to them. It's way, it's like up at the top of right. their, of their perception. But the more interesting part is when you talk to the administration, they believe that compensation is way down the totem pole compared to, you know, just lifestyle and lower cost of living. So there is a difference of what physicians think versus administration think again. And it's an opportunity for administration to open their eyes and say, okay, maybe we should be paying attention to what they're saying they want and figure out how we pony up to get them at least attracted to the practice to begin with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Chris, any thoughts on that? You want yeah, to I mean, I, I would agree with Tony completely that the, I, I think the key is really flexibility. And you know what we're hearing from a lot of our clients is uh, and seeing is that there's this realization that the um, you know the, the the ways that we've attacked these problems before in the past um, aren't necessarily the ways that we need to do that going forward. And so, you know, if if you if you think about kind of the the point of the exercise is to get clinicians in front, you know, patients in front of your clinicians and making certain that you're creating great, you know, access uh, to healthcare in your community. And, and so while in the past that might've looked like, you know, an MD boots on the ground, that's the solution. 
in this day and age, I think the more that we can be flexible um, and look at, uh, you know, a, a hybrid solution, whether that's part boots on the ground, part virtual, whether that's leveraging, you know, MDs and DOs or, or APP, full-time, part-time, um, really trying to craft a um, more of a customized solution is, is really critical to, um, to being able to, um, you, you know, execute on, on, on getting, you know, care in your community. In fact, I, I, you know, we had a, a situation recently where we had a, a client in a fairly rural part of Michigan that was uh, looking for an oncologist in their community. The closest oncology care was about two and a half hours away. And it tried for a long time, very unsuccessfully to recruit somebody there on a full-time basis. Um, and we were able to kind of craft a solution where we had an oncologist who was willing to go there a couple of weeks a month and then see patients in between um, virtually to, 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 to maintain um, continuity of care. And essentially, you know, we've, we've been able to, um, you know, create a situation where those folks in their community are not having to drive two, two and a half, three hours sometimes to get that care. And so, um, you know, that was a, a client who held out for a long time, kind of, you know, hoping that they were going to be able to find someone. They very obviously probably weren't working with JPS or they would have found somebody more quickly, <laughs> but um, really who, who opened their mind to, um, you know, some of these hybrid solutions that in, you know, previously they would not have been uh, something that they would have considered. So I think flexibility is really the key there. That was the word going through my mind, being flexible, being innovative even, and turning away from doing things the way we always did them, but looking for new solutions there. And so thinking about new solutions, Tony, um, as you've alluded to several times, the study looked at both the perceptions of physicians and administrators. We've talked a little bit about how they see things differently, but where do we align them? Where are those alignments coming and how do we keep improving on those? Yeah, great, great question. Um, yeah, they're, they're, obviously we highlighted some of the differences, but to your point, they, they do have some things, personal and professional, they're kind of, they kind of understand each other. And a lot of what physicians are looking for today no matter where it is they're practicing, it's really big on the last study that we did with y'all. They talked about um, respectfulness, you know, job security, a family-friendly environment, all of the things that were always important to them, but seem to have been illuminated even more during the pandemic and, and become more and more important to them. Um, uh, I, th I think you know, the, the ability to recruit physicians is where they have to come together even more, though. They've got to find those, those gaps and figure out what it takes to get that all, all done, make sure that they get the, the compensation. As we talked about earlier, the compensation's got to get worked out. In some cases, administrators are going to have to come to grips with what MGMA says the upper end of, of the, the value is, because here's the deal, they can get really creative on things as, as um, Chris mentioned, some of those could be, you know, bring them to the community, get them on four day work weeks, figure out something else to, you know, limited hours or limited walk-ins for certain special uh, specialty needs and that sort of thing. So 
So there's a lot of things they can do to make physicians feel that they're, they're more interested in them having a work-life balance. Um, the other thing that I think is really, really critical is the autonomy that they have. Uh, they, I think physicians, physicians by and large want to be autonomous. They, they've wanted to be that from the beginning, from before the employment trend started, you know, over a decade ago, you know, for a long time, they just wanted to be independent contractors. The majority of contracts that we sent out 15 years ago were independent contractor agreements between hospitals and physicians. And after the ACA, that just flipped and to where the vast majority are now employed because they just don't want to deal with the administration. But guess what it doesn't mean? They don't want to deal with the administration, but they also don't want to lose their autonomy and how, how patients are treated and how they provide care. So it's really, really important to understand the psyche of physicians and also get to the point where they understand the differences between all of the people that they're going to be hiring. Um, you know, this was probably something I was going to talk about later if it came up, but, you know, you're talking about, you know, baby boomers, Gen X, millennials, and the way they think and what's important to them at this point in their lives. So depending on who you want to come in and work on things, who you think is going to be a good fit within your practice and your community, these are all things you've got to think about. So it's a much more holistic approach if you want a strategic approach to go after recruitment as opposed to before you know, just post a job and see what comes. And if something falls out of the sky, hallelujah, we had a doctor. Um, it's not the wisest approach to be able to find a physician. So th these things are all more important today than they've ever been. Okay. Um, one of the things that keeps going through my mind here is we heard about the great resignation, but then in just very recently, we've been he hearing about the great regret. And I know that wasn't necessarily part of your study. Chris, I wanted to just see anecdotally, or have you had any, uh, anything out in the field, anything anecdotally either where you've heard, well, wait a minute, you know, maybe I shouldn't retire yet. And I'm ready to get back out there in this more flexible mode that you were talking about earlier. Well, I, I, I think the fact that the stock market has, has tanked and a lot of those folks that were thinking about early retirement through the lens of, uh, you know, the S&P going bananas over the last, you know, three or four years, maybe, maybe rethinking that. So that, that, may, uh, that may fuel kind of that, uh, that, that great regret. Um, I don't know, Tony touched on this earlier. I mean, um, you know, there, there are three and a half million people who are missing from, from our, uh, from our economy that are, that are no longer working. They don't register. Um, and so, you know, where, where are those folks, right? Um, you know, I think a, a lot of them have migrated towards kind of gig economy jobs. And I think like the BLS probably doesn't quantify who they are very well. Um, there are healthcare workers. I, I, I heard a, a statistic last week that there are 200,000 nurses who have dropped out of the workforce. And so, um, you know, again, just, just because of the shortage and the maldistribution in rural areas, they're going to feel that, you know, um, more the impact of that's going to be greater. And so, um, you know, there, there are very real trends that are happening just in the workforce in general that have a, a, a ripple effect, um, you know, through healthcare and, uh, you know, there's some interesting studies from uh, the Association of American Medical Colleges. They do a study that, that you guys have probably looked at 
that projects uh, physician supply and demand over a 15 year horizon. And then they apply some scenarios to it where they say, hey, if, if physicians retired two years earlier, what does that do to the gap? If they work two years longer, what does that do to the gap? If we use more advanced practitioners, some really interesting, but also pretty scary data um, in there, just kind of relative to, you know, the impacts that, that a lot of these, um, uh, you know, workforce scenarios, you know, have on, on our ability to deliver healthcare in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you. That, that really, uh, shed some light on that. Uh, Tony, I want to turn to you because um, I had an opportunity to talk to a a nurse yesterday who told me she was done. She was absolutely done. She was burned out. And this will warm your heart based on all the conversations we've had in the past. A new leader came into their group um, who shifted their culture and just showed empathy and a people first and a people centric approach to that staff and um, encouraging people to take time off, encouraging uh, you know, the staff to work together and to find solutions. So I wanna talk to you now as we really start winding down on this conversation, but build on it. What are some first steps that practices can take. I'm not necessarily teeing you up for culture and that'll solve everything, but wherever you want to go with that, I did want to share that story about that one nurse who decided to stay in the workforce based on new leadership, good leadership with a vision. But um, what are some steps that practices can take to help solve these issues here? Yeah, I, yeah, obviously, you know, this is one of my sweet spots, but um you know, it, it's really, it, we, we've talked about it in the context of it being physicians and medical practices, but in reality, isn't that life in general? I mean, any organization that can create a good culture is more apt to have people that are happy. And when they're happy, it drives production, it drives results, uh, positive results. Um, you know, probably the thing that I'm most proud of, and I know Chris is as well, we're part of the entire organization that is always recognized as one of the best places to work in the country. Um, and I'm not embarrassed to say 12 years ago until we changed the culture within JPS, we were struggling mightily. And now the last seven years, we were just announced again that we're the one of the top places to work in the United States in healthcare for, for my company. And the different approach and the lack of tur- turnover and the happiness of our people translate into great production and experiences for our clients. So I don't think it's a surprise to say it's no different in medicine, but it's so bizarre because it's almost like in medicine over the last few decade, at least decade, that I've been really paying close attention to the cultural side. I've always paid close attention to it, but I didn't really know that that's what it was until I you know, was slapped in the face with it, but, but really having that incredible culture in a place where people enjoy coming to work and want to want to work, they can, but it seems like administration, and this isn't a knock on anybody who's listening, but administration until recently seems like they just kind of put physicians out on this island and APPs and their nursing staff and think they're very well trained. They know what they're doing and they don't really need all of these 
accoutrements or, or, you know, accolades or things like that. But guess what? They're still people and they need it. They need a positive work environment, feel support, to feel that they're listened to. And the first steps in building that really is just listening to your people and ascertaining what's important to them, asking them to be involved in building that culture and talking about retention and thinking ahead to those kind of things. You're never going to have a good culture if you as a leader determine what's important to your people. It's not going to get you anywhere because you're probably going to miss. You may not miss altogether, but you're probably going to miss the things that really are important to them. So if you don't take those first steps, get what's important to them and try to figure out how do we weave this into something that's part of our mission, our values, everything that goes into that culture, then you're missing the boat. So to me, whether it's my company, Chris's company, McDonald's, whether it's you know a physician practice, that's the, the key to get it started. And then just continually measuring that success and getting check-ins and being able to feel, because culture doesn't stop with just building it. It's continually reassessing and measuring and feel like what are what is changing because things will change as time goes on and you have to make adjustments if you want to keep people happy. Um, Chris, I'm sure you, you probably have experienced the same thing because your company's phenomenal as well. So, yeah, and I think that's um, I, I think that's really well said. And I, I also think if we if we look at this through the lens of of a uh, a, a clinician that you bring into your community on a on a locums basis, and you really want to you really want to um, Increase the probability that, that that person may have long-term interest in your in your community and, and really settling there. Um, I, I think getting off on the right foot from day one um, is is a huge um, that that first impression of how that clinician is welcomed into your community. When they show up, do people know who they are and why they're there? Um, you know, do they have clear instruction on where do they go to get scrubs? Where do they, you know, how do they log into the EMR? How do they do all these things? Um, those are, are, are strong cultural indicators of how much you value that person and how much you value your patients and your practice and all of those things. And so, um, you know, while it's, while it's important for um, clinicians that you're recruiting on a full-time basis, as Tony has mentioned, it's also equally as important um, for your, your temporary uh, clinicians, for your docs, and for, for your advanced practitioners. Um, you know, really, really getting off on the, on, on the right foot, setting them up for success. And, and obviously, you know, if you do that, then they're going to be able to practice at their top of their capability much more quickly. You're going to, you know, limit risk and all that good stuff. Um, as well. I, I think the other kind of key is, you know, have a plan, have a strategy, um, you know, really think about what it is you're trying to accomplish and where you can leverage some of these other resources. Um, a big part of what we do is essentially consulting with our clients and saying, like, hey, here's, you, you could do it that way, but here's two or three other opportunities you have where you may be able to leverage um, full-time, part-time, on-site, virtual, um, you know, we can come in and, and, you know, help you think through, like, what are the implications of this? What are the trade-offs? Where do we get a pickup? Where do we maybe potentially have some, some other things that we need to think about? 
So I think, um, you know, again, you know, kind of word of the day is just around kind of flexibility and kind of thinking creatively and outside of the box. Um, but having a plan and being very purposeful around um, how you're organizing your recruitment efforts and where you can leverage various resources is kind of the first step um, in that process. Okay. And it's also, and it's also been well documented that those people that, that like the nurse you met, who's now happy and likes right. that the statistics of, of patient satisfaction and outcomes go up dramatically. I mean, it's, it's not even a little bit, it's dramatic. The, the differences. So it's, it's proven that these things are critically important and you're going to keep a lot more people this way too. Okay. Final question then. I know we've, we've covered a lot here about uh, uh, this rural physician uh, study, but um, I'll start with you, Chris. I just want to get a final thought then. What's kind of a final word, a final thought from you you'd want to share with our audience, either about this study or about what's trending there in the rural physician uh, situation. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but I would go back just to that concept of flexibility. There, there are so many, so many things that, that, um, that can be leveraged um, if, if you're willing to kind of open your mind um, to consider them. So, um, you know, really thinking about how you can leverage advanced practitioners, think about how you can utilize a combination of both on-site and virtual care, um, think about uh, those kind of locum to perm kind of trial practice opportunities, the test drive. Um, you know, what we're seeing with our clinician base is getting younger. And so it, it used to be that, you know, we had a lot of our clinicians that we worked with were in kind of that um, pre-tirement phase, uh, not quite ready to shut it down completely. Um, and while that's a still, uh, still a big part of, of our clinician demographic, that group of clinicians who are five years or less out of training are gravitating towards um, locums as a practice style. And so figuring out how you can utilize these opportunities to attract that group and to get them to come to an area where coming out of training, they might normally have said, mm, you know what, I'm not really sure I wanna be in, in that small of a community. You know, my guess is in many of these communities, if you can just get somebody there, Right, you get them there. They get the feel, the community, the people. Um, your your odds of of getting somebody to um, to join you on a, on a more permanent basis are are going to be exponentially greater. And then the last piece is just just have a process. Right, we're in a in a very hyper competitive market, and every every piece of data that we see tells us that that's not going to change. Um, you know, moving forward. So really being purposeful. And having a plan, uh, recognizing that we are in this hyper-competitive market, and being able to move very swiftly, um, I, I think, are, are really keys to having a, a huge impact um, on, a, on a successful outcome from a from a recruitment perspective. All right, uh, Tony, you get the final word here. What's what are your thoughts here as we? Gosh, uh, wind I don't up? know if we have enough time left, but uh, <laughs> no, it, it's. Um, you know, constant line of communication is important. And that's, you know, amongst your leadership. It's also amongst your physicians. Um, you know, the study that we did with y'all that talked about retirement and how it's viewed by people. I hope everybody took that seriously because 
especially in rural communities, it's even more important to stay in constant communication with your baby boomers that are, you know, phasing out, you know, 40% or more of physicians right now will be 65 years of age in the next 10 years, 40%, that's massive. And there's not 40% new physicians coming in to replace those. So these are all things you got to keep in mind and, and talk to these people, the opportunities of keeping these people on and I think I've said this before, I'm the perfect example. Yeah, I'm going to retire in whatever the time frame is, not too long, my people hope. But, uh, but as I retire, I don't want to just be done cold turkey. I'd love to continue doing some things, but more at a pace that I want to. So that lifestyle thing that the physicians are telling us. So if you can keep those physicians that are saying they want to retire engaged and keep them in some form of capacity to help you fill those gaps and bring on new, new people, you know, a new baby boomer may just make that combine just one full practice compared to what they were doing previously, because they're not working quite as much as they used to, right? So that's a different approach. Um, and, you know, so those things are all important, making sure you got your plan, how you differentiate yourself against competition. But most importantly, start recruiting way early. It's never too early. I mean, a couple years is not unusual to look for a perm doctor. Um, the last thing I'll leave you with, um, Chris will probably say, I know we talked about this, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway. But, you know, if you can get two companies that really work together, if you need help outside that you're, you're struggling to do it on your own. One of the, th the reason the locums business got started originally, to, I'll try to keep this as short as possible, but a really wise man who's still with us that worked directly for many, many decades with Rick Jackson, asked Rick one time the question of, well, you know, how could you get every client to use you? What would that, what would it take for that to happen? And he said, he goes, well, I'd have to, if I could guarantee them a doctor tomorrow, I'd get every, every job. So you take a couple companies like this and say, okay, we can guarantee you that doctor tomorrow while we're looking for that long-term fit. Perhaps the short-term person may end up being your long-term fit, but combine those efforts sometimes and your odds will go up dramatically if you can pull that off. So just another thinking outside the box to, uh, strategy to think about. So anyway, um, I could talk about this ad nauseum, obviously, so uh, I'll shut up now. <laughs> <laughs> no, those are great thoughts. And I love these ideas of flexibility, thinking outside the box, being innovative, having a plan. Um, and having a culture as well. So uh, Tony and Chris, this has been a great conversation and I think it's a needed study that you guys put together. So thank you both so much for joining us today. Thank you. My pleasure. Well, that's gonna do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guests, Tony Stadehar, president of Jackson Physician Search and Chris Franklin, president of locumtenons.com. We also want to thank MGMA's DX Conference and OnSite Women's Health for sponsoring this week's show. Join MGMA's DX Conference June 7th and 8th online. Our digital experience is built on three content areas vital to medical practice excellence, finance, operations, and data. Follow your path to excellence. Go to mgma.com slash events to register today. Breast cancer will impact one in eight women. OnSite Women's Health provides healthcare practices and providers with the ability to bring screening mammography in-house. 
partnering with OwnSci allows more women to keep up with their annual screening and gives anyone impacted by breast cancer a fighting chance. Learn more at OwnSciWomen'sHealth.com. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. And to access all of our podcasts, go to mgma.com slash listen. And if you want to add to the conversation or suggest experts for us to interview, email us at podcast at mgma.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at MGMA Daniel. Stay safe and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights Podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com slash membership. Thanks.